You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Kathy Eternell. We are in a portion of scripture, and, and sometimes I, I say to the gentlemen, you guys give me some of the hardest things to preach on, <laughs> because I can't make people jump up and kick their heels and say, oh, that was great, because these things touch our hearts. They touch us, and, and we go, ooh. And so that's some of the scripture that we're on, and last week, you remember, we talked about David's sin with Bathsheba. This is probably some of the darkest time, or at least the beginning of a very dark time in David's life. Willful sin always causes great pain, and not just to oneself, but also to others. And we've got to be careful, and and this was David's place. You know, he had come to what we might call a sweet spot in his life. He had had great victories. He now had become king. He had both Judah and and Israel uh, come together in his kingdom. He was blessed. But you know, when you're in that kind of a place, that's where you've got to really be careful because that's where the enemy can find an opportunity to trip us up. And that's exactly what happened to David. And sometimes we get lofty in our minds. And I I would suppose that this is probably for David almost a midlife crisis. (laughs) You know, he's probably around 50. And things are okay. But he's not as young as he was. Neither are those women that were apart his wives. And there was this beautiful woman that caught his attention. And I know that guys look... You're just not supposed to keep looking, right? And so it got David in a whole lot of trouble with this woman, and he goes from a lusting after her to to adultery with her, to deceit, to trying to cover up the mess he made, to murder, having her wife, her husband murdered, and to many hurt, it wasn't just something with him and Bathsheba and her husband. This, this touched so many. So we look at this, and we see that this is a terrible time in David's life. And yet, for David, it might have felt good, because it looked like he was getting away with it. The Lord just didn't come and jump right on him and say, and you know, the Lord doesn't always come and speak to us right at the moment that we do things wrong. Sometimes there needs to be a time, and David enjoyed, I think, sin for a season. But there came a time where God was going to have to deal with him. And in Proverbs chapter 5, in verse 21, it says, And the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. You know, the scripture speaks of the judgment seat of Christ, and it says that one day we're going to have to give an account for everything we say, every word, 
it says, every idle word. That's scary, isn't it? And for the deeds that we've done and the attitudes that we did them in. Now, we're going to get to heaven, but there's still going to be accountability, and it'll determine rewards that we get. The scripture goes on, Asaph, who was David's choir director, came along, and he's speaking for God, and he said, while you did all this, I remained silent, and you thought I didn't care, but now I will rebuke you listing all my charges against you. There's a a great speaker that I love to listen to some of his messages, and he made a statement. He said, "Sin, secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. Secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. And there's a fearfully high price that we pay for willful sin. We're going to go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and it's going to be verses 1 through 14. And um, I want you to, before we do that, we're just going to ask the Lord to help us. But I want you to open your heart and see what the Lord would speak to you about in this portion of Scripture. We've all been willful at times, haven't we? We've all, all done our own thing, and sometimes we've gotten away with it only to have things later on creep up. We've got to, we also have to recognize that sometimes God calls us to be the one to go to someone who's done things like that. What kind of an attitude are we going to have? So we're going to pray and ask the Lord to show us where we belong in this particular portion. Father, we thank you. We thank you that this is your word. We thank you, Lord, that you know how to speak to our hearts. And you you don't leave out things that that are ugly. You put them there. You put them there for us to learn. And so, Father, we come today just asking you to allow our hearts to be open and humbled before you so that you can do what you need to do for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Second, first, second Samuel chapter 12, verse 1 says, And the Lord, the Lord, sent Nathan, the prophet, to tell David this story. Who took the initiative? The Lord. Who takes the initiative most of the time in our life? It's the Lord. And, and we see that it was the same thing that happened with Adam and Eve. Who came after them after they had sinned? It was the Lord who pursued them. And he is one who, as he looked at them, they fell into the same situation that we find David falling into. They saw that that tree was good for food. They desired it. They took it, and then they hid Isn't that what happened with David? He saw. He let his eyes linger. He desired. He took. And then he tried to hide. I'm so thankful that God doesn't cast off his erring children. 
I'm so glad he's the hound of heaven that he's ever after us, ever pursuing us. Do you know he pursued Moses when Moses was a fugitive? And he pursued Elijah when he's saying, oh, no one else is serving God but me, and he's running away from, from Jezebel. And he certainly pursued Jonah. <laughs> you know, he had a whale waiting. He had a bush that, that he let a worm come and caused that bush to die. He was pursuing him. And I know he pursued Peter after his denial. I don't ever want the Lord to stop pursuing me. I just want him not to have to pursue me for all the awful things I get into, right? <laughs> and in Psalms 89, it says, in verse 31 to 33, if you do not obey my decrees and fail to keep my commandments, then I will punish your sin with a rod and disobedience with beatings. But I will never stop loving, nor fail to keep my promises. Wow. Many of us have been parents. Many of us still are. Boy, you know, there are ways you deal with your kids, right? You have to, you have to discipline. And the way we discipline depends on the degree of the offense. And God is the same way. We're his kids. And we make mistakes, and we get out of line, and he deals with us. But when we become deliberate in our sin, he deals more harshly with us. It has to be. What if we had no laws and we tried to drive down our highways? What would it be? Be bedlam. What if we had no laws and we tried to live in this country? It would be bedlam. Is there not a right for when something is wrong to stand up and say it's wrong and deal with it? Are there not consequences? for the things that we do. We get tickets, <laughs> you know. We have to pay fines. We have situations happen that are the result. Now, does God forgive us? Absolutely, and we're gonna see that. But there are consequences. God sent, God sent a gift to David. His name was Nathan. Now, those of you who know, I have a son named Nathan. He said, Mom, why didn't you call me Nathaniel? Because that means a gift from God. I said, I wasn't sure what I was getting. <laughs> but it, he is a gift. <laughs> And Nathan was a gift. That's what his name means, a gift. Who was he? It's believed that Nathan might have been one of the people who wrote 
1 and 2 Samuel. It's also believed that he could have possibly been one of the school of the prophets under Samuel, and that he maybe had been given a position to take over after Samuel. That's what's believed, not written in scripture, but that's what's believed. And we notice that Nathan doesn't, doesn't shrink back from an unwelcome task. He could have been in a world of trouble. Coming before the king to tell the king what he did wrong? He could have been killed. And you know, when we are called to do what God would have us to do, it's not always pleasant. I wish it was. But here he had to come and he had to speak. But notice, and we're going to look at this and see a pattern of how God would have us to work with someone who got out of line. It is our natural thing to want to say, you better shape up. You better stop doing what you're doing. But that's many times just shuts people right down. It's not the way to do it. So let's look and see what happens here. In Colossians, it says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. What does salt do? It makes something a little bit more palatable, right? I'm a salt addict. I want salt on things. It makes it easier to eat that. Take it in. Salt also retards decay. They'll put salt with meat and it'll keep. It's, it, it retards decay. Salt also has a healing effect. How many times have you been told, gargle with salt if you've got a sore throat? Does that hurt? Salt in a wound hurts, but it has a healing effect. So let your speech be seasoned with salt. Grace seasoned with salt, having a, a healing effect to make things palatable, to be able to bring about that which would hinder the decay of something. Now, starts out in the scripture here saying that Nathan comes with a story. I don't, who else came with stories? Jesus, didn't he? How many times did he use a story? He'd really like to say something straight, but he knew if he used a story, it would get in and, and move in their emotions, and then he could bring out clearly what it was. And that's what happened with with Nathan, and I love it because what does Nathan use? Let's look at it. A rich man, it says there were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle, and the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought and raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. And he cuddled it in his arms like a 
baby daughter. Notice what was said there. What did, David, what did he use for David that would really get into his heart? A story about a lamb. Was he a shepherd? How many lambs had he cuddled? How many had he seen and loved on? How many stayed beside him during those cold nights? How many times did he have to rescue them? Was there not a relationship there that could touch his heart better than anything else he could use? And then it, it says it was, it was like a daughter, so it's a female lamb, which is even more cuddly there, it's something you would take care of even better. And how did, it, how did it relate? Well, it would even eat from his plate and drink from his cup. Now, if you were an animal lover, that may be something that's happened in your life. I've got a daughter who's an Ellie Mae, and she is constantly feeding them. If you ever get to see our house at Thanksgiving time, we have an abundance of dogs that come to Thanksgiving. And you will find Donya as she is cutting up the meat for, for our dinner, she was there, and there were five dogs in a row around her. And here she is giving each of them <laughs> something. There's real relationship we gather with our animals sometimes, don't we? God used it. God used it to speak to, to uh, David. And it says, one day a guest arrived at the house of the rich man. But instead of killing the animal with his own flock or herd, he, he took the poor man's lamb and he killed it and he prepared it for his guests. Oh, David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, many men, any man that would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one that was stolen and for having no pity. David was so angry at injustice, and yet he did not see his own injustice. How bad did he think this was? That man deserves to die. That's not what the law said. Law said you pay him back four times for what you've taken. But David is so angry at a sin that's less malignant than his own. Righteous indignation. Ever have it? Ever have the Lord come along and say, look at yourself? We see that, that Nathan did not immediately charge David with his crimes. Yet he caused him to pass sentence against himself without him even realizing it. Did you ever lay someone out and they didn't get, know they were being laid out? My kids said I used to do that to them. 
you tell a story, you tell a truth, and that it gets, and they, they respond to it. And then what could David do? We find that Nathan could speak into his heart. There's this scripture that I love. It gives us some understanding of how we're to deal with people when they're in sin, when they're in deliberate and willful sin. It says, the servant of the Lord must not strive. And this is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perchance will grant them repentance, so that they might know the truth and that they might come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, being held captive by him to do their will. Who was holding David captive? Was Satan. Satan had caused him to believe that the things that he was doing was okay. He had the right. To be a real spokesman for God, you've got to be able to come to people without being overwhelming at them. I, you know, when I think about Nathan coming, I, maybe I guess it's my personality. Maybe somebody else would have said whenever David finally, or Nathan finally says, you are the man, they'd say, you're the man. I don't know that that's how Nathan approached him. I wonder if he said, you're the man. You're the man. And I like the way he talks to him after that. He did not say, I want to tell you what you've done. Notice what he says. The Lord, the God of Israel says. What is he saying? I'm speaking for God. Let me tell you what God's saying. I anointed you king of Israel. I saved you from the power of Saul. Gave you my master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. These were the favors that God bestowed upon David. And if that, oh, this scripture gets me. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much more. What do you think would be the response of someone who had been spoken to in that manner? And then he says, why have you despised the word of the Lord? Why have you made light of the law of God and of the lawgiver? So what are we saying when we do willfully those things which we know are not right? We're saying, I despise the law and I despise the lawgiver. And this word despise, I thought it was, it was really interesting. It means to, to lift your head in a haughty manner. 
We don't think about that when we do those things, but let's call it what the word calls it, despise. You've lifted your head. You think yourself better than what God may have said. And we don't look at ourselves that way. But the Lord's saying, why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? And then he proceeds to tell him what the deed was. Now, in Proverbs chapter 4, in verses 20 through 23, it's interesting. It says, listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart for they bring life to those who find them and healing to the whole body. Guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. So what's he saying? Watch what you take in through your eyes. Watch what you listen to. Watch your attitude about who you think you are or what you think you, you should have. Guard your heart because what you take in is what's going to flow out. You have done horrible deeds. Now he proceeds to tell them. You have murdered. Oh, I didn't murder. Yes, you did. You've murdered Uriah the Hittite by the sword of the Amorites. You did it. And you stole his wife. Aren't you glad God doesn't allow us to remain in our spiritual insensitivity? Because that's where he was. He had become spiritually insensitive to the word of God and to the Holy Spirit. And God wants to come and he wants to help us to recognize what our sin is and to confess it and to move from it. There are consequences. We have to remember that. Does God forgive? Absolutely. And we're going to see that here. It says, from, from this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Again, notice he said, I'm not talking what I'm saying. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes and he will go to bed with them in public view. What you did secretly, I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of Israel. Oh, if there should be something that's a deterrent in our life is that what we do secretly, the Lord can allow to come out publicly. This should be a deterrent to us, not something that beats us, but it becomes a deterrent to us to be careful how you live.
there was one wife taken. Later on, we're seeing, we're going to see all these things actually take place in David's life. Later on, his wives, his son, is going to have relations with them in front of all of Israel in a tent put at the top of the, the palace. There was going to be private sin, but now there was going to be public humiliation. Actions have consequences. David confesses his guilt. Notice, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. No, David, you've done more than that. And if you go into the 51st Psalm, he even gets a little straighter with that. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. He hasn't gotten it yet. Our sin isn't just against the Lord, it's against other people too. And Nathan says, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for your sin. Did he deserve to die? Absolutely. Not only was he an adulterer, he was a murderer. He deserved to die. But notice what it goes on to say. Nevertheless, because you have, and, and this is another translation, it says, shown utter contempt for the Lord by doing this, your child will die. Wait a minute. I, I thought sins of the fathers weren't supposed to come down upon the children. But there's another place in the scripture where it says that they will too come down. The sins of the fathers will affect the lives of the children to the third and fourth generation of them that are not walking with him. This baby was going to die, this child. We don't know exactly how old. We feel there's probably been at least a year since the sin with Bathsheba to this point. May have been even a little longer. But the child is going to die now. In relationship to Israel and to the needs of the kingdom, who is more important and who will be more influential? The child or David? It's going to be David. David's the king. David's going to have to, to continue to rule those people. But how was God going to allow there to be justice? Because what does the scripture say? The wages of sin is death, right? There wasn't a Jesus then. But this is a perfect picture of what Jesus did for us. He became that sinless one who died in our stead so that justice could be done. And the scripture says, because this deed was an occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child needed to die. And next week we're going to be talking about, these are not easy portions of scripture to deal with, 
but they're here. They're here for a purpose. And many times there will be a sacrifice of one for the many. We don't always understand why someone is caught, cut off in, in young life. But I'll tell you, I've done all kinds of funerals, and let me do a funeral for someone who's young, and that place is filled. Somehow that death has a different effect than burying someone who's lived a whole life. And it has an effect on many. And there is a principle of scripture of the sacrifice of the one for the many that God could get a hold of people's hearts and work in their lives. And we're going to see that more and more as we look at this next portion. Stay tuned to the next section of this. Now, David was being awakened from his, his slumbering conscience by this happening. Sin was forgiven, but consequences were coming. So where, where do we fit? Where do we fit in the story? The story's for us, right? Maybe we've had some things that we have willfully done and we've, we've thought we got away with them. What does God want us to do? He wants us to confess our wrong, doesn't he? He wants to bring us to that place where we need, we must confess. We must get right with God. We must recognize sin is sin. But then what else must we do? We must recognize that these consequences that come to us are always less than we deserve. Book of Ezra talks about I punished you less than what you really deserved. And we think of some of the things that have happened. Many of us can look back and say, you know what? God used that situation in my life or in the lives of other people. God used it. Wasn't wonderful. Sorry it had to happen. But God used it. Through these kinds of difficult times where we recognize the consequences of our sin are there, what does it cause us to have to do? I looked again into David's life. I'd like to say he got the message here. Nah, neither do we. I'd like to say he never willfully did something wrong again. No, he did. And in the 24th chapter of 2 Samuel, he numbers Israel, which God had told them not to number Israel, not to count how many people they had. And he did it anyway. And then there was, was penalty to come to him for that, and, and there were three choices. And finally he said, you know what? I'll take the three, year, three days of pestilence, I'll fall into the hands of God, and I'll let him undertake because he is merciful. Now 70,000 people lost their lives because of David's failure. 
70,000. But he says, let me fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercies are great. What have we been saved from by some of the things that we've done? How much less have we suffered under those things? And what gives us the power to handle it? It comes by casting ourselves into the hands of God and saying, I give up, I give it to you, Lord. I'm going to trust your integrity that out of this mess I may have made, Lord, bring beauty. Somehow take these ashes and do something with them. And we be in a situation where we, we know some of the things that have happened are our fault. But that's not to destroy us. That's to make us look away to a God that wants to help us to overcome the challenges that come our way. And then maybe we fit into the, the Nathan part of this. Maybe you know of things that need to be spoken out regarding sin that may be in another's lives. And you know, one, one of the hardest places to deal with is, is when it's sin in relationship to our children. It's hard. It's hard to confront them. But how are we going to do it? Are we going to come and be able to be a Nathan who can speak the words from God? Or are we going to let it be our own words that we just spill out at them? Are we going to know how to come to them with grace seasoned with salt? Are we going to listen to the Lord so he can speak to us to make us effective for where he wants to send us? Can we let the Lord use us and not hide somewhere and pretend like it isn't happening? That's what happened with Eli, and he lost his children. So we've got a very difficult portion of scripture this morning. But it's there for our good, not to destroy us. And so as we pray today, as the worship team may come, as the prayer team may come, if you found yourself in some of these situations or you know someone that has and you just need to pray, that the Lord will give them strength to be able to deal with the situations they're dealing with. If you want to be used to the Lord, to be able to speak against things that you know are, are not right, but you want to do it with his ability, then let's, let's come and, and just ask the Lord to give us what we need to face these challenges. He will. Let's fall into the hands of a God who's full of truth and yet mercy. Shall we pray? If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.